We turn this morning to Nehemiah chapter 2. We begin reading at verse 11 and read through verse 20 in Jesus' name. Nehemiah chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. And I arose in the night, and I and a few men with me, I did not tell anyone what my God was putting into my mind to do for Jerusalem. And there was no animal with me except the animal on which I was riding. So I went out at night by the valley gate in the direction of the dragon's well, and on to the refuse gate, inspecting the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down, and its gates which were consumed by fire. Then I passed on to the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was no place for my mount to pass. So I went up at night by the ravine and inspected the wall. Then I entered the valley gate again and returned. The officials did not know where, where, excuse me, where I had gone or what I had done, nor had I as yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the rest who did the work. To them, you see the bad situation we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. And then they said, let us arise and build so they put their hands to the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard it, they mocked us and despised us and said, What is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? So I answered them and said to them, The God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion right or memorial in Jerusalem. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the call that you gave to this uh, man we call Nehemiah. A call to arise and to rebuild that which had been destroyed, that which had been broken down. And I pray, Lord, that as we think of the call that you've given to us, as uh, believers in Jesus who are called as living stones to be built into a, a spiritual house to offer sacrifices of praise to you. Oh, God, help us to be willing to say, Lord, use me. Uh, may I be a part of that building of your kingdom, of your church, for the praise and the glory of your name. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A few years ago, I made a, a phone call, which really ended up kind of being an unforgettable phone call. I called a place of business, and I don't even remember what it was now, but I certainly remember the conversation. The lady answered the phone and said, good morning. And then she gave what I assume was their mission statement. And then she said, can I help you? And so I was kind of curious to learn about their mission statement. So I asked her, I said, what does that mean? And her answer was quite revealing. She said, I really don't know what it means, but this is how we're supposed to answer the phone. Wow. How many times did she say that as she answered that phone 
And yet, she didn't seem to have any idea of what it meant. What was their real mission? Now, I would assume that those who were running this business knew what they wanted to accomplish, but at least one of their workers didn't really know. For some reason, it wasn't either communicated or it wasn't understood by really one of the most important people that worked there. The, the, the first impression that many people get to that business was the one answering the phone and she didn't have a clue what their mission was all about. You know, that brings us to an important principle when it comes to God's vision for ministry. In order for God's vision to be effective, it must be clearly communicated and understood by others. People must know what God's plan is if they're going to follow it. As Nehemiah came to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall, this was a principle that, that he really understood. God had given him a burden for the people in Jerusalem, and he wanted to share that burden with others. But Nehemiah knew that there were two requirements for the effective communication of this vision from God. Notice, first of all, in order to communicate God's vision, we need to fully understand God's plan. Nehemiah had already been planning for the rebuilding of the wall in Jerusalem, but his plans really at this stage were, were quite limited. In fact, if you think about it, he really hadn't even seen the wall yet. He really hadn't examined what it looked like, this wall that had been broken down and its gates that had burned with fire. So if he was going to share God's vision with others, he needed a better understanding. He needed more input as to what exactly God wanted him to do. And I would suggest to you that he received this input in three interesting ways. Nehemiah received further input from God. God made it clear to him what he was called to do. It's interesting to notice when Nehemiah arrived in Jerusalem, he didn't immediately pull out the trowel and start working on the wall. That's probably what some of us would have done. We say, you know, we've got to get to work. Look at this. There, there's something need to be done here. Let, let's get going. Let's get working. But he waited. And verse 11 tells us that he waited three days. So he came to Jerusalem and was there for three days. So why do you suppose Nehemiah waited three days before doing anything? Weren't the needs great, huh? Wasn't his burden great? He certainly could have done something to get going, clean up the rubble or do something. If you look at verse 12, you see why Nehemiah waited. He was allowing the Lord to give him a clearer understanding of what needed to be done. Verse 12, he says, I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. I did not tell anyone what my God was putting into my mind or into my heart to do for Jerusalem. So God was giving Nehemiah further input, further advice, further insight to the plan. And I believe that was the key to the fulfillment of God's plan. Nehemiah was a successful spiritual leader because he listened to God. He wasn't too busy doing the work to hear from heaven. Now, there's a lesson I think we need to learn. Do we, do we get so 
busy, so involved in even the work of God's kingdom that we don't make the time, take the time to really be listening to God. Spending time in His Word so He can direct us and guide us and, and give us wisdom. Sometimes we're so busy with other things that, I don't know, do we really listen to God? Do we spend that time in His Word? I think of Martha, you know, when Jesus came to, to visit. Uh, Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you are, you are worried about all kinds of things. But the one thing that you really need... <laughs> is to spend time at my feet. And that's what Mary had done. And Jesus said she chose what, what was needed, the one thing that was, was needed. And it was certainly not a problem that, you know, that Martha was doing something wrong, not by any means. But as one man said, the good can become the enemy of the best. And I think that's what we struggle with sometimes. It's not like we're involved in bad things. But if we're so involved in other things that we don't have time to sit at the feet of Jesus, we don't have time to hear from heaven as Isaiah did, we're going to miss out. And so it started there. Further input from the Lord. The second way he received further input was through his personal investigation. After spending time with the Lord for those three days, Nehemiah began to survey the situation. And notice how carefully he did it. He recounts to us exactly what he did. He went out by night, by the valley gate, in the direction of the dragon's well, on to the refuse gate, to the fountain gate, to the king's pool, to the valley gate. And if you follow what he's doing through on a map, you see that he took a basically a circle around the city, examining the entire broken down wall and inspecting the wall. Verse 13 and verse 15 tell us that he inspected the wall. And that word inspected means to examine something carefully. It was a medical term that was used to describe the probing of a wound in order to see the extent of the damage. So he didn't just glance at the wall. He didn't just say, oh yeah, let's get going. I mean, there was careful examination. So he knew exactly what needed to be done. Now, if he was going to share God's vision with others, then he needed to know exactly what he was dealing with. So before he shared it with others, he examined, he looked, he Probe to see what, what needed to be done. Input from the Lord, his own personal investigation. And then thirdly, he received further input from fellow believers. I think it's important to notice that it wasn't just Nehemiah that had a burden for the needs in Jerusalem. There were others who shared the same burden with him. And you see that in verse 12, when Nehemiah inspected the walls, notice he didn't do it Alone, There were some men who went along with him. He says, I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. He wasn't a lone ranger. Do you have a tendency to be a lone ranger, any of you? If it's going to get done, I got to do it, right? I'm going to get it done. Okay, I'm not going to involve anybody else. I don't want to bother them. Or if I involve others, it'll go slower. I can just do it faster myself. 
Uh, some of us have that tendency to be lone rangers. Nehemiah was not a lone ranger. When he went out to inspect that wall, there were a few men that went with him. You know, there's something wonderful about doing the Lord's work when you're not alone. When you realize that this is a team effort. I, I see that every Sunday morning when we gather here for worship, this is a team effort. <laughs> And some of you have to come to two services every Sunday. Isn't that rough? Listen to me twice. That's got to be one of the most challenging times of your week. I heard that already, and now i got to hear it again, right? <laughs> it's a team effort. And if you look at Scripture, that's, that's the way it works, right? You go back to the Old Testament. Elijah and Elisha. Moses and Joshua. You look at the New Testament, you have those that went out two by two. You have Paul and Timothy and Paul and Silas and Paul and Barnabas. You don't find them off alone somewhere. There was that team effort. And we see that in the life of Nehemiah. The lesson is clear. We're in this together. Whether you like it or not, we're in this together, right? And Nehemiah certainly makes that very clear. The second thing Nehemiah understood, in order to communicate God's vision, we need to encourage God's people. It's one thing to have a vision of what God wants us to do, but it's another thing to actually carry that vision out. And that obviously includes the lives of others. That task of rebuilding the wall was way too much for a lone ranger. There was no way that Nehemiah was going to do that himself. And so he had to enlist the help of others. And I find it interesting the way he did that. Three ways. Nehemiah led by example. He personally was involved in rebuilding the wall. And we see that in verse 14. Notice the pronouns. Then I said to them, you see the bad situation we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. So what's he doing? He's saying, you and I are in this together. I am here to help you clean up the rubble and to rebuild that wall. Now, what do you think would have happened if Nia would have come in and said, you people have sure brought trouble on yourself, and it's about time you fixed it, huh? After all, it wasn't my fault. You do it. You, you rebuild those walls. What happens when you cast blame and criticism? You end up squelching motivation. But when you identify with the problem, you bring encouragement. And so Nehemiah encouraged the people by saying, we're in this together. He was personally involved with them in the rebuilding of the wall. Second thing he did is he gave them a reason for rebuilding the wall. Verse 17, he said, Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. I suppose Nehemiah could have said, Let's rebuild the wall and I'll pay you well. 
I've got connections with the king. You come with me and you'll be rewarded. Be a nice check waiting for you when the work is done. I'm sure some would have responded to that invitation, but Nehemiah's appeal was really much deeper than that. He touched a sensitive core deep within them by appealing to that which was dear to God and dear to them. They had experienced enough disgrace, and God's name had been disgraced. It was time to see God glorified again. Come, let us rebuild so that we will no longer be a reproach. And then he encouraged them by giving evidence of God's blessing upon that vision. Verse 18, I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me. And also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. It's obvious that Nehemiah was thinking back to what had happened in verses 8 and 9 when King Artaxerxes, who was an ungodly foreign king, agreed to, re- to support the rebuilding of Jerusalem. That was a, sign of God, a miraculous sign of God's blessing. And the people of Jerusalem needed to know that right from the start. They were being asked to be involved in a huge, huge task. And they needed to see that that God was in it. So he encouraged them. And notice the response. In spite of the fact that this was a huge undertaking, they said in verse 18, let us arise and build. Let's do it. And so they put their hands to the good work. You know, sometimes those in spiritual leadership can complain. Nobody wants to get involved. Have you heard any pastors say that? Nobody wants to get involved. They're like, I'm doing it all myself. Well, I don't feel that way here, but I've heard that from other pastors. But maybe the problem is not so much with the people, maybe the problem lies with those in spiritual leadership who have not really brought the kind of encouragement that's needed. When Nehemiah encouraged the people, they said, let's do it. <laughs> let's build. Okay? You've shared that God has given you this vision. The hand of God is upon you. You're going you're gonna to stand alongside us and let's go for it. <laughs> let's do it. Let us arise and build. Now, I wish the chapter could have ended there with a story that they lived happily ever after. That it was just, you know, smooth sailing all the way. But it wasn't smooth sailing. Guess who showed up again? Verse 19. Sanballat and Tobiah came back to oppose the work, only this time they had done some recruiting. Verse 19, But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official, now we have Geshem the Arab, heard it, they mocked us and despised us and said, What is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? So now there were three men with the gift of discouragement, who were ridiculing God's plan. Isn't it amazing how a critical spirit can spread? 
I'll tell you what, you get a couple of people that have a burr under their saddle about something and they start spreading garbage. Spreading dissension, spreading fear, mocking, you know, throwing their, their, their verbal missiles at the whole situation. I'll tell you what, it can get pretty ugly. You get a couple with a bad attitude and it really, really spreads. Now back in verse 10 of this chapter, we saw that their first response, Sanballat and Tobiah, was to be very displeased. But now that the work was ready to begin, they are mocking, they are despising the workers, and then they threatened to report their activity to the king as an act of rebellion. They said, are you rebelling against the king? If you look back to the book of Ezra, you'll see that this was an accusation that was given before and it worked. According to Ezra chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, some had already tried to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. But the work was stopped because a letter was sent to the king describing Jerusalem as, quote, the rebellious and evil city. And the work stopped. They had started this process Way back, and it stopped. And so this accusation, are you rebelling against the king, was, was no minor, uh, small threat at all. But I want you to notice how Nehemiah responded to their threat. I love this. Nehemiah firmly told the opposition to beat it. <laughs> and he encouraged the workers to put their focus on the Lord. Look at verse 20. So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion. You have no right. You have no memorial in Jerusalem. Don't you love the focus of that man? He always brought his people back to the Lord and to the vision that God had given him. And he told those who were trying to oppose the work of God to pack their bags and get out of town. You have no part in this, he said. Leave. Get out of here. It's time to pack your bags and get out of town. That doesn't really fit with Minnesota nice, does it? Huh? You know, we have that saying that we're Minnesota nice and so we don't, we don't do stuff like that. But there come times when, as believers in Jesus, we need to be firm. People who are opposing the work of God should not be given an opportunity to sow discord and fear. The habitual critic offers no help in fulfilling God's mission. Theodore Roosevelt years ago said, It is not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbled or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred with dust and sweat and blood. So are you one of the critics? Are you one of those in the arena one of those whose faces, whose face is marred with dust and sweat and blood. It's easy to be a critic, isn't it? 
It's easy to stand on the sidelines and point fingers at those involved in the game and say, you know, how did you miss that layup, huh? How did you miss that shot? What a dumb pat. Really easy to be, to stand on the sidelines and be the critic. And in ministry, it's the same way. There are people who don't want to get involved, but they can sure point out the things that are wrong, right? A critic. It's easy to be a critic. What's more challenging to get into the arena? To get involved in the work? To get your hands dirty? To, to be involved in that, <coughs> that mission? But you know what? When you accept that challenge and you give yourself to the Lord's work, you experience a sense of joy, a sense of fulfillment in doing what God calls you to do. So I ask you this morning, are you, are you ready to arise and build? Ready to get in the action? Uh, Nehemiah was. And many who heard his challenge were ready as well. They said, the God of heaven, he will give us success. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. Father, for men like Nehemiah and those who heard the call to be involved in, in building that wall in Jerusalem, let us arise and build. And Lord, we are called not to put up a, a wall of brick and mortar, but to be involved in the work of your kingdom. To be involved in the work of, of your church, of building your church. Lord, it's your work and it's a good work. And you've given us the privilege to be involved in that work. As living stones, we are being built into a spiritual house to offer sacrifices to you and to proclaim your goodness and your mercy to us. Lord, help us not to be among the critics, among the opposers, among those who sit on the sidelines and cast stones at those involved in the work. Help us, Lord, to be those who say, Lord, use, use me. Let's, let's do it. Let's arise and build for the glory and the praise of your name. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.